Good evening. So tonight we are going to be in Jude, the book of Jude. We're going to be in verse, or verse 3 is going to be our main verse, but we'll be in the book of Jude. Now, while you're turning there, trying to balance between Revelation and Hebrews and back to Revelation and back to First Peter, as you're looking for Jude, uh, tonight's message is going to be a part of a two-part series. Next week, we'll, we'll do the second part. So this week, we're talking about contending for the faith, contending for the faith, and that comes from verse 3. Next week, we'll be talking about defending the faith from 1 Peter 3.15, and the distinction there being that the contending for the faith is an inner church struggle, while uh, from threats that come up from inside the church, while defending the faith is from outside threats. Uh, now, what does it mean to contend for something? What does it mean to contend? Now, chances are, if you're not this person yourself, uh, being we're in Kentucky, you probably know someone who is a die-hard UK basketball fan. And they will tell you that nothing makes them happy unless UK is in the Elite Eight, but even that doesn't make them happy. You, it has to be a championship, and they've been bitter since 2012. Because um, so they want to contend for the championship. It's not enough just to, to, to see a good season or to have a bunch of wins. It's not enough just to beat Louisville, especially this year when they're terrible. You, you want to win the championship. You want to contend. Now, growing up, I was a Chiefs, I've been a Chiefs fan, which um, we won't get into that, but I've been a Chiefs fan my whole life because my, par- my parents were, they're from Kansas. And most of my, you know, growing up in high, middle school, high school, the Chiefs were terrible in the 2000s, absolutely terrible. And I would just be happy if we won a few games we weren't supposed to win. And then we started going to the playoffs. And then we won a playoff game. And then we won a Super Bowl. And now, like, I've tasted the Super Bowl, and it's like I can't, nothing else makes me happy. Uh, in football, and I joked with my friends who are Bengals fans after last season with the Super Bowl. I'm like, guys, you're you're gonna want to go back. It's not gonna now. Now you'll never be able to watch football again without being mad unless you're at the Super Bowl. They're like, oh, sure, it'll be fine. Sure enough, the season starts off two and three, and they were cr- going crazy. Like, oh no, like we've got to win. Like we've got to go back. Uh, so what I'm saying is, in sports, we all like to see contenders. Not just part- you, no one wants to just participate. You don't want to watch a sports team and just well, I hope they have a good time. It's like, no, you want to win. You're in the sports to win. Like, it drove me crazy back growing up in NASCAR when I'd see these teams that were the, uh, they were parking starts, they were, or starting parks. They would start the race, run like two laps, and park it just for some money. They weren't there to actually contend. It was just a waste of space. Why are you even there? Um, we want to see people who are fighting competitive. You know, they'll go in and play injured. Well, Jude wants Christians to contend for the faith. So if you have your Bible, uh, verse 3 in Jude, Beloved, When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the love you have shown us to your son Jesus who lived for us, who died for us in our place, took the, the wrath that we deserved, and he rose again so that we too can walk in newness of life with him. Um, uh, let your word be preached uh, truly tonight, and um, let us be open to receive it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Jude, who is Jude? Now, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. He's James's brother, James most likely, uh, or, well, not most likely, James being the leader of the church at Jerusalem in the book of Acts. Uh, if you remember in first, or Acts chapter 15, verse 13, when they're discussing um, Eat, or, you know, like Jews were eating separate from the Gentiles, and it was just a, a big ordeal. So they, and that's also James, the author of the book of James. 
And who was this book written to? If we go back to verses 1 and 2, we'll see it. It says here, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. So in short, the real answer is we don't actually know specifically what Christians he was writing to. We know that he's writing to Christians, it's to those who are called, and it's likely towards Jewish Christians because of the amount of um, Jewish literature that's brought up in this, pa- in this book, but most likely we don't actually know who he wrote to or which church he was specifically writing to. But why was he writing? Well, verse 3 is the linchpin uh, that you need to contend uh, earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith. Why? Why should the... the why should the Christians at this time contend earnestly for the faith? Which was, and notice he says, the faith, not your faith, not a faith. So not necess- we're not talking about a personal, you know, my personal faith and belief in Jesus. We're talking about this broader concept, the faith that all the saints believe. It says the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So it's something outside of themselves. It's the truth. It's what the church believes. Contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why? Verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were, brought, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Who are these folks? Well, way back in Deuteronomy 13.3, we get our first hint that this is going to happen. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 3. All right. Okay. It says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake to thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So we see from of old there are people who come in to test the church, to test the people of God, to see if they truly believe. And it notice it says they crept in unawares. Now he's going to use some other illustrations later to explain what that looks like. But they crept in unawares. It's not obvious, like, these people, these false teachers that you're looking out for to contend for the faith, they don't just walk into your church and go, hey, everybody, I'm a false teacher, just so you know. It's going to happen. I'm going to start leading people astray. Are you cool with that? Cool with that? No, they don't do that. They creep in unawares. They, they look good on the outside, but it turns out they're rotten. Um, but my illustrations are not good. We'll, we'll get to Jude's here in a second. Uh, Jude describes them. Later in uh, verse um, in verse uh, twelve, he calls them spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. All right. So, moving back into uh, verse four, we see that these people were. Um, they were ungodly. They were turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So what they were doing was they were turning the grace of God and saying, hey, because of grace, 
you can sin as much as you want. It's what they we're getting into. And I should have done this earlier. I'm just going to read through the book of Jude. It's only 25 verses. Then we can all say we've read a whole book tonight, but of the Bible. But we're going to go through the book. Just it'll, it'll be easier to go through. So I'm going to start in verse 5 here. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept their first, not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally, as brute beasts and those things which they corrupt themselves, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the heir of Balaam, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons and admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the, of the apostles our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying the holy Ghost, in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and having of, having of same and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. All right, so as we we're going through there, if you're familiar with Second Peter uh, chapter 2, this probably sounded really familiar. Uh, Jude most likely was, was kind of like a shared source material for, for Peter or vice versa, but they wrote about the same time in the mid-60s. So at this point, the temple's still around in, in uh, Jerusalem, just to give you an idea. But all right, so getting back to the false teachers and why we're contending for the faith. So Jude does, gives a lot, like where Peter kind of gives more examples of some false teachers and what happened, Jude really goes hard at the false teachers, reminding people of if you've given the false teaching the punishments that come how god often how god punished all those who who did not believe in the past so um verse four we saw the false teachers 
uh, they said grace makes sin permissible and they denied God. Verse 5, we see that the Lord punished the unbelieving Jews after saving them from Egypt. And we remember how that happened. They, uh, they end up wandering in the desert for 40 years um, and that gen- until that generation dies, and then their children get to go into the promised land. Verse 6, we see that God has judgment planned for the rebellious angels. It says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Verse 7, we see Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. Now, that's a really interesting point. So to what the false teachers are doing, it says Sodom and Gomorrah in like manner. What's the like manner? Giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth as an example. So we get an example there of what was going on with these false teachers. They were going after, they were giving themselves over to fornication and they were teaching others to do the same. Likewise, it says in verse 8, we have these uh, filthy dreamers, the false teachers who defile the flesh, despise dominion, and they speak evil of, di- of dignities, most likely the dignities being um, angels of the Lord or those who God has put in charge. Um, but m- moving back down there to verse uh, 11, we see uh, three more um, three more situations. We have, they have the, uh, they've gone the way of Cain. Remember, Cain gave a bad sacrifice. He's jealous of his brother. He kills his brother. We see they went after the heir of Balaam. Um, And then we see that they went the same way as the rebellion of Korah in the book of Numbers. And we know that all those perished. Uh, Korah, if we remember, you know, the ground opens up and swallows them and then shuts. And it says here in verse 12, I, I really like the illustration he gives there, which I mentioned earlier. These are spots in your feast of charity. So what's a feast of charity? Um, think Lord's Supper, think fellowship gatherings. Think, you know, just having some people from church over to your house for, for dinner or to a restaurant for dinner. Um, your feast of charity, there's spots. Well, what is a spot? The translation there is reef. could be translated reef. So how is a reef, wh- wh- what does that mean? Like a spot, a reef, where, where, are, we, where are we going with that? All right, so you're in a boat and you're sailing and everything looks nice. You see the, the water, and you can see the reefs down there. But the reefs, because of the, the water and your depth perception, you don't realize how shallow these reefs actually are. And next thing you know, you hear a horrible scraping sound, and there is water coming in through the bottom of your boat. And pretty soon, your boat is now um, an aquarium decoration at the bottom of the, at the, bottom of the seabed. So that is what a hidden reef is. You, you don't see it there. And the next thing you know, the whole ship has sank. It's like a spot. At first you don't notice it, and next thing you know, everything's moldy. Everything's gone bad. There are spots in your feast of charity. And they feed themselves without fear. And as we're going to do the Lord's Supper tonight, like it, it, in, in Corinthians we see we have to have fear. We, we need to uh, make sure that our heart is proper, is, is pure, is that we've repented of our sins and that we are um, not seeking after them anymore. Um, they're, they're eating without fear at these, at these events. And it says they are clouds without water. <laughs> now imagine, once again, like that illustration is so good. A cloud without water. You know, when you're having a drought, if you remember last year, uh, there was a few months there where I think we didn't have rain for like six weeks. And, uh, you know, when you're having a drought, you're like, man, we could really use some rain. And then here comes the clouds, and you're like, yes, some rain. 
Oh, there they go. Okay, maybe in the next clouds will bring rain. It's like, what's the point of clouds if they're not going to bring rain and when you really need it? So they're clouds without water, and then it says they're carried about by the wind, and then finally they're trees that have withered and they have no fruit, and they've been plucked up by the roots. They're just a dead thing. Um, and then he keeps going. He just goes really hard at it. Some people have called this, um, they've compared it to, to Matthew 23 when Jesus gives the woes to how like harsh it is in its tone. Like this whole book. But uh, in Jude 13, where he says, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, their wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And then we get into um, what he says about Enoch. Now, I want to make a point here. So earlier, I, I kind of skipped over it, but verses 9 and 10, we have Jude is quoting from a, not even an apocryphal book, an extra, like a, a, a um, Jewish text from outside of Scripture, that uh, just because that part of the text of that was true does not mean the whole book was but uh the holy spirit felt the need or felt to put this in here and then we have this as well coming out of the book of first enoch where we have enoch prophesying um behold the lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and after all their hard speeches which un Godly sinners have spoken against them. So these false teachers are definitely going to have judgment come. Why? Verse 16, he continues. He keeps going from a, here's what they're doing, here's the punishment, here's what they're doing, here's the punishment. Verse 16 is a punishment again, or is what they're doing. They're murmurers. They're complainers. All right. So we've seen these, and most likely, if, if you've been in church long enough, you're going to see murmurers, you're going to see complainers, you're going to see gossipers. There are people who, on the outside, they do the same church facade. They dress like they 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 dress nice. They come to church. They're on time. They attend. They have their Bible, but they're actually poisonous. They're they're a hidden reef. They look pretty, but then it turns out they're 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 bad. They 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 sneak in unawares. They walked after their own lusts, so they're murmuring and complaining because things aren't meeting what they want. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words. They have persons in admiration because of advantage. So they can talk really well, they make good points, or what seems like a good point at least, because they've got good charisma. They might have a lot of money or be someone of importance in the community. Um, but we see here in verse 17, he says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there would be mockers in the last time who would walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, not having the spirit. So they're in their own, they live by their flesh, they don't live by the spirit, is the main thing you'll see. And he told them, like he gives us a cure for contend, or for being away from them and how to contend, but ye beloved, building yourselves up in the holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep for yourselves the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So that right there, that's the main thing. If people who are looking for God's mercy, who are looking for him for eternal life, are going to be the ones who are not these false teachers that he's dealing with, that Jude is dealing with here. Now, we see false teachers are popping up all over in the New Testament. Now, this is in the mid-60s A.D., so we're talking, it, it hasn't even been 40 years since Jesus' uh, Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. And we already have false teachers all over the place. We see for, uh, Peter is talking against them in First and Second Peter. We see in Galatians, we have those who are saying that you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul declares them anathema. We see in First John chapter 4, 
um, we see this type of, of, of Greek philosophy in, uh, going into the church where he says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now it is already in the world. So you have this issue that John's dealing with where there are people teaching that Jesus did not actually come in the flesh. And the craziest part is these people are also sometimes the pastors of churches. Um, so contending for the faith is important because it comes, like, some of the biggest issues we face in the church, the biggest issues that the church has had to deal with when it comes to theology, are from inside the church itself. People and pews, people at pulpits, teaching things that are false and leading the church astray, uh, creating heresies, denying major doctrine, you know. Uh, almost every one of these examples I'm going to give you here in a second involve denying um, the hypostatic union, that is, Jesus Christ being both uh, being 100% man, 100% God. Denials of the Trinity, denials of original sin, denials of the word of God being scripture, 100% scripture. Um, uh, maybe the raising up of Mary, the denial of the virgin birth. All of these things, or the denial of the incarnation altogether, all of these false teachings come up from inside the church and start affecting the church. They can sometimes lead to schisms and cults. Most likely, when Muhammad creates Islam, the Christians that he's dealing with, who he's talking about, were, were false teachers who believed that Mary was part of the Trinity. So he's not even dealing with real Christians. He's dealing with, with false Christians. We have Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness. All these things pop up from heirs brought out of Christian doctrine. So what are some false teachings that have popped up in the church? And we're going to go, we'll go in the Wayback Machine first to show you some stuff going on here in the early church. In um, the uh, hundreds uh, AD, so we're talking like the late, in the late second century, there was a man named Theodotus of Byzantium, um, and he was a bishop of a church, and he was, actually, sorry, it was earlier that he was teaching that he was condemned in the 190s. But he, te- he taught adoptionism, which is a denial of Jesus's pre-existence. That is that Jesus was not the second person in the Trinity, but rather he started existing uh, later. Now, in this case, he believes that it was a man, there was a man named Jesus who was tested by God in the wilderness. And after baptism, he was given supernatural powers and then adopted by God. And as a reward for his work, he was raised from the dead and adopted into the Godhead. Now, you can imagine why this was condemned, because you have... This is definitely a false teaching, and that came from inside the church from a bishop, from a man who was supposed to be leading a congregation. Think When you think bishop um, in the early church, think overseeing multiple congregations in a city or a couple cities. So he should be um, a man who's teaching God's word, but instead he's leading hundreds if not thousands astray. Uh, you, had Apoll- um, you had Apollonarsus, who was another bishop. And he taught that um, he took Greek philosophy and mixed it with Christianity and taught that the logos of God, not the word of God, but the logos, which was used in Greek philosophy as like there was this, maybe this word that created everything. It's like he became divine nature of Christ. He took the place of Jesus's human soul. So Jesus was basically a human body with the mind of God, but not a human, basically the human essence is gone. Um, of course, that was condemned in 381. You have perhaps the biggest heresy of the uh, ancient church, which is Arianism. Once again, taught by a pastor. Uh, 
And uh, Arius taught that Christ was the first creation. And then um, he was the creation that, that then creates the whole universe and was adopted by God. And his divine quality took the place of the human and spiritual aspect of Jesus at the incarnation. Now, once again, this is Greek philosophy. It's Plato's demiurge, which um, super boring. But anyway, uh, you have this idea that Plato had that there was this that uh, which gets into a lot of this, too, because we get to the Gnostics, who John was talking about there earlier, the proto-Gnostics. Um, in Greek philosophy, there was this idea that everything material, if it was made out of matter, it was evil. But if it was spiritual, it was good. So a lot of these false teachings come from that idea, matter, evil. Um, spiritual good. So we'll get to uh, in Gnosticism, this idea that um, Jesus couldn't have been in flesh because flesh is evil. Or in um, Doceticism, the idea that uh, God couldn't suffer so because he's spiritual, so therefore there couldn't have been an incarnation, just that Jesus appeared to have a body but was not really in the flesh, which has more in common with Christian science nowadays than anything else. Yeah, you get all sorts of heresies throughout church history. You get Pelagianism, which comes from denying original sin. Pelagianism taught that our human free will was completely capable of doing good or bad and coming to the Father apart from any uh, effort from God or effect from God. It was a denial of original sin, basically saying that we were not dead in our sins, but that we still had life um, in our sin. Um, Of course, that led to semi-Pelagianism, which meant that God and man worked together to achieve salvation. That was also condemned as heresy. Nowadays, we still have some heresies that pop up from inside the church. We have the idea of kenosis, which is that when when it says that Jesus emptied himself, or, you know, um, when he humbled himself, they believe that he actually lost some of his divine attributes. He emptied himself of those at incarnation, and that is taught in some churches today. We have universalism, the idea that everyone ends up in heaven, that um, there won't be a hell. It's a denial of hell. So once again, these doctrines pop up from inside the church. This wasn't, and is an unbeliever inside the church, but this doctrine popped up inside the church. It didn't come from an external source and get pushed in. It comes from inside, from, from, um, from people who are put in teaching positions or who believe wrongly and falsely and then lead to the whole church falling apart. As Jude called them, they, were, they crept in unaware, like you didn't know they were coming. So as Christians, we have to be on guard and be ready to contend for the faith. Now, what does contention mean? It means that we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Um, when you hear false teaching as a Christian, you shouldn't have to uh, stop and go. Um, you should, you, number one, you shouldn't have to know like systematic theology. Like you, you shouldn't have had to go to seminary and gone through a bunch of Bible classes you should be able to kind of, it, it, should, it shouldn't pass the, 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 the smell test, right? You should be like, that's uh, something, something's fishy there. It's, it's, it's sour. What you said's wrong. Um, we see that in the book of Acts. We see the Bereans, that when Paul preaches, the Bereans are immediately, like, you know, discerning what he's saying. So they did their homework uh, so that when they heard false teaching, they didn't have to stop and go, is that wrong? But go, yeah, something's off about what they said there. That's, that's not the truth. So as Christians, to contend for the faith, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Um, We see that's where a lot of the old church creeds come from, is from the idea of needing to know what we believe and why we believe it, or have like a set set theology, a set system. So where does all this lead? Well, the, the thing we need to notice is that 
Just like in the early church, there was a ton of false teaching. There will still be false teaching today. And in fact, there still is. One of the, er, one of the oldest, well, the, the, the biggest one we talked about earlier was Arianism. But another large false teaching from way back in the day is modalism. Or it used to be called Sabellianism, but modalism. And specifically, um, well, not specifically, but anyway, modalism. In short, modalism teaches that there wasn't a trinity, but that um, God um, goes from being the father to, he sometimes goes from being the father to being the, like, the Christ, and then he will, they will say that he shows himself as a spirit. Sometimes he becomes the Holy Spirit, but basically God exists in different modes is what they teach in modalism. And that, that still exists today in the form of oneness Pentecostalism. It's, it exists inside of churches today. It probably has uh, songs on the radio, on Christian radio cha- stations. And when we used to have Christian bookstores, it had books on the shelves. Um, and that was d- a denial of the Trinity. So that is outright heresy, and it was, on, it was being sold to Christians. It's, it's, if you get Christian book ma- distributor magazine, it's, they're going to have books in there. Um, another false teaching that we see from inside the church or that might, you know, maybe it's not like there's a false, there's someone teaching in your church, but you could have people in your church who believe it. You have the, um, you have health and wealth prosperity and its partner word of faith movement. If, if you don't know what those are, the health and wealth prosperity movement, and you've seen them, you've seen Kenneth Copeland, you've seen Joel Osteen on TV. Um, you've seen, uh, Joyce Meyer. They teach that, um, that you can give your money as almost a down payment, but that basically, uh, if if you're not actually, or if you're if you're poor, it's your own fault from not having enough faith, and that you can name and claim your health, you can name and claim your prosperity. In fact, uh, Kenneth Copeland famously a couple years ago blew into a microphone and told COVID nineteen that it was gone, um, which uh, in fact it was not gone, but um, just. It's, it's craziness, but there are people all across the world believing this now. Uh, it's being exported to other countries, like into Africa. So imagine telling people that they're poor because of their, their, they just have a lack of faith, rather than just that's the circumstance that they're in. Um, and then also, uh, word of faith is naming and claiming things. So if I, and if I in faith, claim something, I will get it. Um, and you can see why that's also bad. And then we also have the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR, NAR, um, this idea that there are modern-day apostles who have the ability to heal, the ability to do all the things that apostles could do. Um, you see this from Beth, the, mainly Bethel Church at Redding, California. Um, and... He, the, the biggest irony is that they have like a whole entire school that's supposed to be dedicated to spiritual gifts, which is it's all bogus, and they believe that they can that they can heal and that their um, that their pastor Bill Johnson has the gift of healing. Uh, Bill Johnson, there's a very there's a there's a clip that if you, if you have to see it to believe it. Now Bill Johnson wears glasses just like I do. I've, I've been wearing glasses since I was in uh, fifth grade, and he is he's talking to the congregation while wearing the glasses, and he says, if anyone here has been healed of, uh, or had their eyesight healed by our ministry, I'm sorry, I'm laughing, I shouldn't be, but because it's actually terribly serious, but uh, if anyone's been healed by this ministry, uh, you know, raise your hand. He's like, yeah, bless you, bless you. Uh, and he talks specifically about, you know, if they've been healed of their lack of seeing by the ministry, and people are raising their hand, he's like, God oh, bless you. And he's saying this while wearing, so he's supposedly a healer who can't even heal his own eyesight. Anyway, I digress. Um, 
So that's, that's another one we see today. But there are people all across believing it. Now, you heard that word Bethel. Once again, you have definitely, if you listen to Christian radio at all, you definitely have heard a song or two or three or four or five by Bethel or by any other group that's affiliated. Um, but you see this all over, like these churches all over, like, and basically the big name churches that when people think of Christians, they think of these churches, it's usually false teachers. It's usually health and wealth prosperity. It's usually word of faith. It's usually the NAR. Um, it's this stuff that just is, um, it's, it's heresy. It's going to lead people to hell if they believe it, because it doesn't actually teach Jesus is who he is. Uh, rather, he's, uh, he's basically a magical ATM in every single one of those. Um, he's there just to heal you. He's there just to give you stuff. Um, he's basically your super rich grandfather, grandfather you wish you had, who just had, you know, billions of dollars and was wanting to give you whatever you wanted, you know, out of his wallet. Uh, it's kind of like George Jetson, you know, it all goes off to 20 takes the wallet in the old cartoon um, intro. But that's what a lot of people see. They see Jesus as a means to their own physical, uh, their physical growth. Where I think in, back in Jude, uh, back in our passage from today, dealing with those false teachers, they were similar. They wanted to continue to live a life of sin, but say that, well, because grace covers my sin, I can do whatever I want, and now I've got a card to, to save me. So it's not like those people who get baptized and then never come back to church and then say, well, I was baptized so many years ago. It's a little different. These people were still attending church, but they said, hey, you know, I, because I uh, believe, because of grace, I can do whatever I want and still go to heaven. And, well, you can't have your cake and eat it, too, in this sense. You, can only serve, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve both Jesus and the world. So we're, back to where I said, where, where do we go with all this? False teaching exists today in the church. And in order to, to actually do apologetics, as we go into this, this long series on apologetics, in order to do apologetics, that is, apology, defending the faith, making defense, we have to be ready to contend because... We don't have to wait around, um, or we don't have to wait very long. It says, it, like, there's always going to be false teachers in the church. There, and there's always going to be false teaching. And we might run into people uh, among, our, our, among us in our congregation who might believe some of these things or have heard some things. And, you know, that doesn't mean they're a false teacher, but they, they might have heard things and believe, believe wrongly, and we can, you know, lovingly correct them. As it says down here in verse 23, um, in 22 and 23, Jude says, and of some have compassion. So this is talking about people who have given into like these false teachers are teaching. It says, have compassion, make a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating the garment spotted by the flesh. So in, we're not hating the false teacher. We're hating their sin. We're hating what they've, uh, what they've fallen for. And we're trying to say, we're trying to get them back onto to the straight and narrow back to believing, or for the first time, believing in the gospel so that they can be saved. Now, yeah, so next week, we'll get into, um, we'll get into uh, defending the faith from outside sources. But I think the most important here, thing here to realize is that we know that, as Christians, we know that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life in our place. He was, truly, he was truly man, truly God. He came, he lived, he died taking the wrath that we deserved on the cross, and he rose again so that we could believe and uh, anyone who trusts in him will be saved. And if you haven't done that today, I, I pray that you would. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for Jude and for um, his, the message that he gave uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that 
we can contend for the faith, that we, um, we, can, we can do battle um, uh, out of love, Lord, in order to make your church pure, in order to, um, to know you truly, to make sure that we understand the scriptures the way that they're supposed to be taught. Lord, thank you for um, the ability to learn when we're wrong so that we can correct our thinking. Thank you that, um, that, thank you for grace, Lord. Not that we can sin however much we want, but Lord, rather that you forgive us when we do sin. And Lord, help us as we go about our lives to live lives out of obedience, not trying to earn salvation like in legalism, but Lord, rather uh, out of gratitude for what you have done for us and the salvation you've given us through your son, Jesus. Um, we pray that as we take the Lord's Supper that our hearts and minds would, would be right and that we would um, have repented of, of any sins that we haven't and that we would be seeking you first in all we do and in all we say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.